I'll tell you, I had, uh, I worked for Child Protection for 13 years, and, and I remember when Child Bridge was started up here in the valley, and uh, I was pastoring in Missoula and working for, for uh, CPS, and uh, I was so pleased to know that there was a faith-based Christian organization that was there trying to help kids that are in the most desperate uh, time of their life to connect with families. And uh, so I, I can wholeheartedly endorse the ministry of Childbridge. Uh, they, were, they were amazing, so praise God. Hey, uh, Pastor Lance, is uh, he didn't fall off the planet. Uh, he had surgery on his uh, right arm uh, earlier this week on Wednesday, and uh, he is healing nicely, but it's a good day to not be shaking everybody's hand and hugging everybody's neck. So when you think about Pastor Lance, uh, pray for him for a good recovery and that uh, he, he will be back with us next week. So we're excited about that and what the Lord has for us then. Uh, one of the elders had a word from the Lord this morning, and I, and I really uh, believe it's absolutely true that uh, he had a sense that there were some here today that were looking for a home and whatever home means in that. And, and we're talking about the church family. There's something about a church family that, that uh, brings things. It's not enough to say, well, I'm a follower of Jesus. You know, they have the old hip shot percussion in the comic books he, he uh, worshiped up on the mountain. But I'm gonna tell you, we need each other. Uh, and, and in these days, like never before, we do need each other. We need a church home, a church family. And, and uh, if this is part of, uh, maybe you're just testing the waters, uh, welcome home. Uh, you're welcome here. Uh, uh, Beverly and I uh, love Hope Church. We love the people that we've met and, and the people that have become a part of our life. And so we're uh, so appreciative. So you are welcome. Uh, so that's, that's the uh, newsy stuff, okay? Um, so today, when you leave the building, uh, I believe that there are two specific things that God wants you to take with you. I'll try to finish before you are, but uh, I'm going to go until I'm done. So we're kind of in this together, eh? So when you leave the building today, I believe that the Lord wants you to take two things with you. One is a clarity of purpose. If you have a pulse, you have a purpose. And you remember, we went through a series a year ago or so about uh, how uh, in, in Ephesians 2 and 10 that you are God's workmanship, you are his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he has ordained or prepared for you in advance to do. You and I need a clarity of why we're here. That's the second part of this. And the second part is, is to make a deep personal commitment to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So please pray with me. Open your hearts, open your minds, and we're gonna go for this thing today. Father, in Jesus' name, we surrender our hearts and minds to you. During this next little bit of time, God, may you speak to our hearts. God, we purposefully open our hearts and minds. We say, have your way. Do your thing among us today. Lord, we thank you and praise you for your lordship in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. From the Garden of Eden to this very moment, every generation, every people group, every person has had to wrestle with the great existential questions of life. Ex existential is just existence. Why am I here? So we, 
we ask these questions does life have meaning and if life has meaning then why am I here what's my purpose I want to uh, survey this morning a little bit of the battlefield that we have in trying to find our purpose. Let's take a listen. He was an old-time cowboy, don't you understand? His eyes were sharp as razor blades, his face was leather tanned. His toes were pointed inward from a hanging on a horse. He was an old philosopher, of course. He was so thin, I swear you could have used him for a whip. He had to drink a beer to keep his britches on his hip. I knew I had to ask him about the mysteries of life. He spit between his boots and he replied, It's faster horses, younger women. Older whiskey, more money. He smiled and all his teeth were covered with tobacco stains. He said it don't do men no good to pray for peace and rain. Peace and rain is just a way to save prosperity. And buffalo chips is all it means to me. I told him I was a poet, I was looking for the truth. I do not care for horses, whiskey, women, or the loot. I said I was a writer, my soul was all on fire. He looked at me and he said, you are a liar. Son, it's faster horses, younger women, older... Whoa! <laughs> hey, don't stone me. We're surveying the land. I'm going to tell you, when, when there's a battle going on, David went out and he looked at Goliath and he didn't say, well, he's just a little guy. No, he saw that he was nine feet tall and he looked like a, a Sherman tank with a little Jeep in front of it. And uh, that's what we're doing. That's what we're up against. But he wasn't the first, Tom T. Hall wasn't the first one that ever thought of this. Listen to this from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 1 and verse 16. Solomon writes this I said to myself look I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me I've experienced much of wisdom and knowledge then I applied myself to understanding of wisdom and uh, also of madness and folly, folly, folly but I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind for with much wisdom comes much sorrow the more knowledge the more grief and then in chapter 2, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure and find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what, uh, what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. My mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs of water, groves of flourishing tree, to water groves of flourishing trees. I, I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. 
I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing. My eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. And then listen to this. This is what he comes to. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind, and nothing was gained under the sun. You know, through history, we have looked for the answers to life, the mysteries of life. It's, it's a little bit like Tom T. Hall's song, you know, and, and some decide it's all about pleasure, some decide it's, it's about money, all of these things. We come up with all kinds of ideas of, of what will make me happy, what's the mystery of life, does life have meaning? Uh, we, like those before us, see our world through our egocentric or ethnocentric windows. One of the things that, about being here in America is that we have the belief that we deserve something that maybe 90% of the other people on the planet don't believe. That we deserve peace and joy and happiness no matter what. We shouldn't have any conflicts. We should be comfortable all the time. There's this belief that that stuff doesn't apply to me. Even uh, our perceptions are limited. Solomon, with all of his wisdom and life experience, the best he could come up with was, yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. When I was a little boy, a, a little... Uh, Roman Catholic boy and, and went to catechism and they were trying to train me up and, and um, we had to memorize the questions and the answers do we have any uh, Catholics you, know, you, ever, you know what I'm talking about catechism and so it was like Sunday school or VBS or something and so you had to so we had to memorize this and we had to memorize the question the answer the, the first question we had to memorize and I was six years old, so I've, I've remembered it for quite a while. <laughs> and so, so here was, uh, uh, who made us? That was the first question. And the answer was, God made us. And the second question was, who is God? And the answer was, God is a supreme being. And the third question was my introduction to existentialism. The third question that I had to memorize and answer at six years of age was, why did God make us? And the answer was, God made us to know, love, and serve him while upon this earth. That was the purpose of God. So Solomon, like the cowboy and the poet, like you and I, came up with nothing because they along with many times you and I are stuck with the missing piece. I'm blessed today to share some thoughts from God's word about the peace. Uh, Pastor Lance, I think, was uh, directly led of the Lord to talk about this, to start this series. And, and I think this is about number seven installment in that series, The Missing Peace, P-E-A-C-E. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Isaiah 26 
or your phones. Now, don't be fooling around on your phone and, and scrolling on Facebook or something. I'm calling you out. Don't be texting your friends, making lunch reservations. Verse 12 of Isaiah 26, Lord, you establish peace for us. All that we have accomplished, you have done for us. Lord our God, other lords besides you have ruled over us, but your name alone do we honor. They, and that's the other lords that have ruled over us. Contextually, in this portion of Scripture, it's important to note, because I'm going to take it a little out of context for the application, but contextually, it had to do with other uh, nations or sovereigns that were putting the people of God under subjection to them. And so when Isaiah, the prophet, is writing this, he's saying about specific people, people groups who were lords over the people of God, the Israelites. And so he said, other lords besides you have ruled over us, but guess what? He didn't, he didn't write that. But your name alone do we honor. They, these other lords, they are now dead. They live no more. Their spirits do not rise. You punished them and brought them to ruin. You wiped out all memory of them. I want you to think for a moment about other lords. I want you to think for a moment about the things that have had leadership or rulership in your life, the things that have oppressed you personally. A lot of times when we, when we come to church and we hear a message, we think, boy, I wish Martha had been here. You know, she could have used this. Well, uh, Martha ain't here, but you are. And so I want you to listen with your heart and mind today because when we're done, when we're done, and, and again, I'm committed to being done, okay? But when we are done, I am going to invite you to make a decision. And if, if you leave here today and you say, well, that was uh, interesting, or you got a, a little head pack and you leave here, then I missed it. But if you leave here today and you understand there are some things that God wants to do in your heart today, I don't care how long you've been following after Jesus. I, I came to know Jesus 52 years ago. And we've been, we've been preaching his word from, for just about that many years. And the, the fact of the matter is, when you leave here, when you, I'm going to ask you to make a decision. One, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior... God wants you to know the truth today. He wants you to be part of his family today. Uh, the, the Bible says these things are written. This is 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13. These things are written that you might know that you have eternal life. He doesn't want to be a hope so and a maybe and I hope I can bite my lip and open my eyes and look real innocent when I get to the gate and they'll let me in or something or, or I'll get a dispensation or a pass. No, he wants you to know in your heart of hearts that you are born again. You see, in, in Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, the scripture says that God has given to every person a measure of faith. We have the ability to believe in something that we haven't seen, haven't experienced, haven't heard, something in our, uh, that we don't experience with our senses. We have an ability to believe something beyond that. And then we're hit with the truth 
of God's word in 3.16 of John, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. But hold up. There's one more thing. Somebody wants to give you a gift. What do you have to do? You have to receive it. In 112 of the Gospel of John, we, we read, to as many as received him, that's Jesus, to as many as received him, it, as many as took that gift and took it into their heart, as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the children of God. Welcome to the family. And so if you've never done that before, if you've, you've might have been religious, you might have gone to church your whole life, but if you have never believed on the Son, you've never received Jesus as Lord or Savior of your life, today's your day. I'm gonna give you an opportunity. We're gonna pray a prayer at the end of the service today. And, and I'm gonna ask you to pray that prayer. If you've never done it before, uh, then I want you to make sure that you've established Jesus as Lord. And the second thing, that we, I want you to do is that we're going to pray a prayer and I'm going to ask you to make a decision. I'm going to ask you to get out of your seats today. At the end of the service, I'm going to ask you to come forward and say, yes, I'm following Jesus with all my heart. I'm done with apathy. I'm done with lukewarmness and, and uh, all of those things. I want to follow Jesus. You know, in my, in my counseling business, I see people in my office day after day who have no peace. You know, it's, and it's, my, my heart goes out to them. It really does. And I, and I don't take it lightly at all. They have no peace. They believe that if my husband or my wife would just see things my way, we'd have peace. Or if I had a wife, or I had a husband, I'd have peace. If I felt better physically, I'd have peace. If I had more money, I'd have peace. If I didn't have to work, I'd have peace. If I, if I weren't depressed, I'd have peace. If I weren't fearful and anxious, I'd have peace. If I hadn't had trauma in my childhood, I'd have peace. If I hadn't experienced trauma in my adult life, I'd have peace. If my children would just behave for crying out loud, I'd have peace. I only say amen to that, eh? Yeah. <laughs> my parents would just get me, you know? I might have peace. If we had the right president in power, I'd have peace. <laughs> and now this uh, service is brought to you, a political advertisement. Uh, if we could save the environment, smaller carbon footprint, all be vegan, save the whales, only have a no-kill animal shelters, have no poverty or homelessness, then I have peace. The simple truth is that you and I wouldn't have peace if all those things aligned. See, because that isn't where peace is. You know, sometimes we, we think, well, you know, the people, you know, we look at people and, and, and in America, we sometimes idolize people that, that seem to have it all. You ever known, known those people that have it all? Uh, well, I'm going to tell you, my name is Don. Because <laughs> I have it all. I do. I have all this stuff. Don't you think about sometimes fame? Wouldn't it be cool to be famous? Yeah, you're with me. 
You know, I've been watching, I, you know, you get all those little teasers about, about Tom Brady, you know, and Giselle, and you don't know if it's just like the new, newest version of National Enquirer. Some of you don't know what that is. <laughs> That's where I used to get my sermon illustrations. <laughs> Twelve-year-old gives birth to her mother. <laughs> so I thought it maybe teaser, maybe it was teasers like that. One of the best ones was the, I saw the fourth horseman of Revelation, and it was the Cartwrights. I mean, it was in there. So here, here's Tom Brady and his, his amazing wife. They're both famous. They're, they're incredible people, talented, gifted people, and, and, and money to burn, I, I would guess. And here they are divorcing after 11, 12 years. I don't know what it is. Uh, three kids spending time between father and mother. No peace. No peace. Fame is no guarantee for peace. The other thing that has been kind of on my news feed and, and I've been picking up on is, is Elon Musk. How many of you have heard of Elon Musk? You know, he's, he's a multi-billion dollar uh, uh, guy that acquired Twitter and he's purported to be the wealthiest man on the planet with a net worth of just, uh, just over $200 billion. Man, that'd be a heavy weight to carry. <laughs> I think glad it's him you know he's just the first he's just the newest rather in a long line of wealthy people there was a guy when when I was uh, back a number of years ago and I kind of he came across my radar his name was J. Paul Getty he once held that title he was married and divorced five times and he died at the age of 83, leaving behind his fortune of about 17.3 billion in today's economy. His, his uh, generations after him, their, their lives were a mess, wrecked lives. You'd think they could have spent a little money and, and bought, a, bought some peace, right? But I don't care too much for money. Money can't buy me love, right? So um, there was an ex-employee of Getty uh, said of him, he always looked like he was attending his own funeral. <laughs> Isn't that something? He must have been one happy camper. <laughs> you know, when Elon dies, you know how much he's going to leave? Everything. <laughs> Same as me. When, when I tip over, hallelujah. It's hallelujah here and hallelujah there, by the way. <laughs> Money is no guarantee for peace. What about being religious? You know, if I could just get more religious, if I could do some religious stuff, you know, just kind of, uh, you know, feed the hungry, clothe the naked, you know, do that. That's good stuff. That is important stuff. If I could give more at church or if I could serve a little bit, all that stuff is really good stuff. And I think I'm, I'm all into it. I'm for it. However, that is no guarantee for peace. I've been pursuing after the Lord for 50 plus years and I've seen turmoil and anxiety, depression, and all manner of brokenness among Christians that rivals what you'd see among un unbelievers. You know, it's almost like if you were doing some research and they have, there's no difference. 
And I'm going to tell you, there's something wrong with that. The, one of the things that we can do is we can be religious. The scripture talks about in the last days that people will have a form of godliness. They'll appear religious. They'll have a form of godliness. But they deny the power thereof. The power of godliness is transformation. When, when we come to Jesus and we invite him to be uh, Savior, forgive us our sins and cleanse us, he wants to be Lord as well. I had a guy years ago, uh, we were doing a, a marriage retreat back in, in the 80s over in Great Falls, and, and there was a uh, young woman came up, and she said, would you talk to my boyfriend? And I said, sure. And so I was talking to him. He said, well, if I accept this, this Jesus stuff, you know, will I have to go to church? Well, after I was done choking him, <laughs> no, it was, it was choke therapy. Uh, but I said, well, you know, if you're going to ask Jesus to be Lord of your life, if you're going to ask him to be Lord of your life, then he's going to tell you what to do. And when he tells you what to do, I'm going to tell you one thing he'll tell you to do is gather together with the people of God. You see, the temptation was to, it was to cut him a deal, but there was no deal to be cut. Being religious is no guarantee for peace. So what's the answer to peace? We go back to this uh, verse from Isaiah 26 and verse 12 We've already looked at verse 13. Verse 12 says that, Lord, you establish peace for us. Peace is a byproduct of a surrendered life to the Lord. There are no shortcuts, no quick fix, no substitutes. In Isaiah 26 and 3, the scripture says that you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind has stayed on, on you because he trusts in you. We're going to have peace when we keep our minds stayed on the Lord Jesus Christ, when our mind is on him day in and day out. I've, I've never been into being that great intercessor of, of uh, pray without ceasing as, as the Apostle Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, but I'm going to tell you what, uh, as I was praying about it, uh, I became aware that there is a prayer without ceasing that is this uh, continual God consciousness, this God awareness that is with me no matter what. What I'm doing when I wake up in the morning I am God conscious when I wake up in the middle of the night I am God conscious when I go to bed at night I am God conscious I'm not saying yay me I'm saying yay us this is how we ought to live this is where the peace is at the peace isn't just getting inside the door and backing up against it and saying, okay I've got enough of God the fact of the matter is if you think you got enough of God I'm going to guarantee you, you probably don't have the peace that you need to have right now consider the uh, prophet in the Old Testament Habakkuk in chapter 3 and verse 17 he said he wrote this and this is from the message uh, though the cherry trees don't blossom and the strawberries don't ripen though the apples are worm eaten and the wheat fields are stunted though the sheep pens are sheepless and the cattle barns are empty I'm singing joyful praise to God what? I'm turning cartwheels of joy to my Savior God, counting on God's rule to prevail. Listen to me. Counting on God's rule to prevail, I take heart 
and I gain strength and I run like a deer I feel like I'm king of the mountain in the middle of all of his turmoil in, in the middle of all of his trouble not out of the trouble but in the middle of it he is celebrating the presence of God because he has surrendered to the Lord and then in Acts 7 and 59 we read about Stephen being martyred uh, Stephen was one of the original deacons in the church they were stoning Stephen as he called out Lord receive my spirit Listen, the rocks are flying. These were real rocks. We tried a stoning one time in a Christian school that I, I was running and, and uh, we, made, we made paper mache rocks. How many of you know that paper mache hurts? <laughs> yeah, it wasn't the brightest thing I, I ever did. And so, so here, here they're stoning Stephen. Real rocks, folks. And he continues... Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And then he went to sleep. Isn't that something? He was surrendered to God. And that's why he had peace. Surrendered. It's not just, you know, take away this little sin and that little sin. And No, it's surrender. It's God. I'm not my own. I'm bought with a price. I belong to you. As the scripture says, then therefore glorify God with your body. What he's saying there is glorify God with your life. Let your life count for eternity. Give your life wholeheartedly, full bore, right on, pedal to the metal kind of commitment to God. Because he was surrendered to the Lord. Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16 and verse 22, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, unfairly, I might say, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was, com was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. But right about now, somebody's going to be saying, would you like some cheese with that wine? Right? Because we would be whining. Why? Because we're Americans. We, yeah. we didn't deserve this. We're so focused on fairness. We're so focused on my rights and, and my, my life. And, and I deserve to be happy. And I deserve to not have all this bad stuff happen. But Paul and Silas, these cats, they were singing about midnight... Paul and Silas are praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Isn't that crazy? What in the world? I mean, that's got to be a diagno diagnosable mental health disorder. <laughs> they were there singing and praying to God at midnight after being they're in this cold dark place they don't know what their destiny is they could be they could be killed at daybreak i mean any number of things could happen they're they're probably bloody and uncomfortable and and humiliated and here they are what do they do they sing and they worship god why because they were surrendered to the Lord. Even Jesus in Mark 14 and verse 32, they went to a place called Gethsemane and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. He was deeply distressed and troubled, fully human and fully God. 
The Bible says that Jesus was tempted in all, all ways like as we are and yet without sin. Isn't that amazing? And in Hebrews it says that we have a high priest who can be touched with the feeling of our weakness and our infirmity. He isn't casual about the things that you're going through. He isn't indifferent about what's going on in your life. He cares about you. He cares about the very deep things of your life. In our office, we have a, a little scripture verse on the wall, and it says that he came to heal the brokenhearted and set the captives free. That's real today. But it won't happen by accident. It will happen by surrender. So here's Jesus, deeply distressed. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. I just want to say this. Jesus was no wuss. When he said, not my will, but your will, it wasn't, okay, whatever. Jesus, in the strength of Almighty God, put his foot down. In just a few minutes, I'm going to ask you to put your foot down. I'm going to ask you to say, not my will, but yours be done. I, I'm making a decision today to surrender afresh to you. I don't want to just be saved. I want to walk with you in your lordship. In his book, The Principle of the Path, Andy Stanley told a story about, uh, about him and Louis Giglio, and they were, uh, they were taking a road trip from Atlanta to uh, Birmingham, Alabama, and they were supposed to be back at a certain time. They didn't take into account the uh, time change, two different time zones. And so they were racing to get back and they thought they'd take a shortcut on this stretch of, of the interstate that uh, was closed. It's a true story. It was closed and, and, and Andy and Louie decided that it was closed probably because they just didn't have the stripes on the highway yet. So they drove around a road closed sign. They drove around that sign and they're, they're just got the windows down and the radio up and they're just singing along and they're shouting hallelujah, praise God. They're just enjoying themselves. Their 18-year-old brains not fully developed. <laughs> they were stopped by a good Samaritan who told them that the road ended in about a mile. From this experience, Andy Stanley made this conclusion. I'm going to read it to you because it, it's from his book, The Principle of the Path. Now, if Louis and I had not been rescued by the stranger in the black Monte Carlo, and if we had, in fact, driven through the next set of barricades into a swamp, we would have done so for two reasons. Neither reason has anything to do with IQ, education, goals in life, net worth, looks, or church attendance. We would have ended up in the swamp because that's where the road led, and that was the road we chose. That's where the road led, 
And that was where the road, and that was the road we chose. He goes on to say, anyone, regardless of race, creed, color, or sex, would have ended up in the same place had they chosen that stretch of highway. It didn't dead end in one place for one kind of person and somewhere else for another kind. That unfinished stretch of highway was no respecter of persons. Everybody got the same treatment, and that's true of every highway, freeway, driveway, or path. It leads where it leads, regardless of who is on it. As you sit here today, the truth is that you either have peace in your soul or your soul is disturbed. Your soul is anxious. There's trouble in life that feels overwhelming. Medication can enhance your mood. And, and as a, a mental health therapist, I'm, I'm not opposed to medication. If that's what we need, let's, let's get it on board. It can enhance your mood for a, for a time. Alcohol and drugs can numb your mood. Pleasure and activities like, the, like Tom T. Hall's rendition can distract your mood. But at the end of the day, these things will wear off and you will start the chase for peace all over again. How awful it would be, wouldn't it? At the end of your life to have climbed that, that ladder of success and you get to the top of the ladder, whatever you thought it was at this time and, and you get to the top, the ladder of success and you realize it was leaning against the wrong wall. You thought it was faster horses or all that other stuff. You know what I'm saying? If the path you are on right now is filled with unrest, anxiety, fear, turmoil, brokenness, feelings of being overwhelmed. Maybe you're focused on somebody done you wrong. Your brokenness and, and it was unfair. We could write books on unfairness, but it won't help. What you need in this moment is an off-ramp. You need to off-ramp from that place of turmoil in your life. You need to off-ramp from the anxiety and the anger and hostility and brokenness and sin and addiction and all of those other things. The other lords. Lord, other lords besides you have ruled over us, but your name alone do we honor. The only way to move to the peace that the Lord establishes us for us is the off-ramp of surrender. Lord, I surrender. Jesus gave up control in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's asking you and me to give up control right now, today, here in this place. If you've never experienced Jesus Christ as Savior, if you were to die today and you didn't know whether or not your name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life, that's the only ticket to entrance into heaven. And the only way that you have that ticket is that the Bible says that all have sinned come short of the glory of God. Everybody has, has screwed up. We've all done wrong. Every one of us. No exception. 
he goes on in 623 of Romans and it says that that the wages of sin is death that's that's eternal damnation but the gift of God is eternal life the gift of God is eternal life God wants us to receive that gift as I mentioned in 1 John 1 and 12 to as many as received him to them gave he the gift the opportunity to be children of God how many of you would say to me and there might be some that have never ever uh, had that experience of inviting Jesus to be Lord of your life and to, to come in and, and save you forgive your sins would you raise your hand if that's you today I'm going to pray in faith believing that there might be some and you don't want to be embarrassed but I'm going to ask you to pray after me if you believe that Jesus is God's only begotten son born of the father born of the virgin Mary came to earth to be an atoning sacrifice for your sins and he was raised again from the dead and he will be coming again if you believe that I want you to pray after me and and I'm going to ask the rest of you to join us in that prayer Father God Thank you for loving me just like I am. Miserable and broken. And you sent your son, Jesus, to die on the cross to shed his very lifeblood for me. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Forgive me my sins. Come into my life. Be my Savior and Lord. Today, right now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. I mentioned I was going to have you do something that might uh, require a little bravery. But the truth is that a lot of times we'll, we'll come to a, a service and we'll have an experience with God and we'll feel a little nudging of the Holy Spirit in our heart and we'll say, whoa, boy, I don't know. And sometimes you might find yourself a little teary and, and God's touching your heart. That God who loves you wants to meet with you today. He wants to set you free. He wants, to, he wants to release over you a newness of life that you can walk in his power. You can walk in the peace that has been missing in your life and only through surrender, only by giving up your, your desire to control all of the elements of your life, only by giving up unfairness and, and hurt and woundedness and unforgiveness only by giving that up today and surrender to the Lord will peace comes a peace that passes understanding so I'm going to ask you to to come forward today uh, join me because I'm coming down there and I'm going to I'm going to meet you here come out of out of your seats and come up here and let's let's get serious with God let's do some business with God today Come and, and let God make a difference in your life. And, and we're going to pray a prayer together today. And we're going, to, we're going to say yes to God. Yes, God. Amen.
There's no, no magic in it. It's just a surrender and, and we'll do it again and again and again. But this can change your life. This can make a new day for you, a new beginning for you by saying, God, I'm all in. No reservations, no hesitation. God, I am all in. I am going to follow you with all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my mind, all of my strength. I am going to surrender. God, my life has been miserable. God, I've been depressed. I've been anxious. I've been fearful. God, I've been downcast, feeling lonely and, and unloved. Today's your day. God says, come home. Come home. Come now. Come home. Father, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we cry out to you, O oh God. We cry out to you, God. Our brothers and sisters are hurting, Lord. They need your touch. They need your peace, God. We cry out to you on our own behalf and, and on the behalf of these who are our brothers and sisters in Christ, God. We, we cry out for peace that is beyond natural comprehension today. God, that your glory would fall. God, we would be set free in the name of Jesus. By the power of the name of Jesus, we release forgiveness and cleansing and wholeness and supernatural peace, God. Help them as they get on that off-ramp. As they get on that off-ramp, God, of surrender to you. Lord, let their lives be filled. Other lords besides you have ruled over us, but your name alone do we honor. You have brought them to ruin, and you are wiping out all memory of them. They're, they're departed, those departed spirits do not rise. God, they are dead. You alone are Lord in Jesus' name.